that's what everybody who wants to be religious says that he pets. So I hope you could. Um, <clears throat> last night we were discussing about the road to prosperity and we shared some thoughts leading to the crux of the message. Early on in the morning I was listening to Pastor Raphael's teaching on beholding and the removal of the noise. And he said a statement that stuck with me throughout the whole day. Jacob was physically incapable of wrestling with the angel. Yet, when that encounter ended, his name had changed. And the name that was given him implied that he had prevailed over the angel. He had won. And Pastor Raphael said he could prevail because he had the words of the covenant. So no spirit, whether angel or demonical, has the power to withstand a man with the words of the covenant. That is absolutely remarkable. Remarkable because it means that we have the ability to command the hosts of heaven that if we have and use the words of the covenant no devil can resist us and no angel can deny us that's absolutely remarkable and if if you haven't listened to it I'd, I'd really advise you to listen to that message Hallelujah. I said last night that it was impossible for Adam not to fail. He was going to fail. And I begin explaining why I said so. Because when you look at the scriptures, they tell a story, they communicate a mystery, a revelation about life that we all, by the Spirit of God, can see and navigate our lives accordingly. So, when I looked into the life of 
Adam, especially within the context of the garden, I noticed that there was no way Adam was going to be successful. And his failure is part of the reason why many in Christianity are failing. And so we began to investigate according to the scriptures. And I would like us to revisit the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, because it was a parable, it was a mystery, a puzzle that needed to be solved. So, when they heard this, they didn't understand what he was saying. Even his disciples really didn't catch what he was communicating. But really, what he was communicating was the word of God in the life of its receiver. So he says, the word of God is not guaranteed to yield fruits, even though it is intended to. It is not guaranteed because of the factor and the element of the one that is receiving it. So, irrespective of the potency, the power of God's word, that it will work and produce results depends largely upon meeting certain criterias. So when the word of God comes, it doesn't just work. It's not an automatic thing where it comes, boom, it works. So there are instances where the word of God fails in the life of those whom it was directed to. Fails not because of the incapability of the word, but because of the receptacles of the one hearing it. So, you, you study the parables, you, you understand that the intention of the word is to yield fruit. But it doesn't yield fruit by itself. 
there has to be the participation of the receiver. So many times you find that because people don't really understand the purpose of the word of God in their lives, they disregard it, undermine it, and devalue its power and its efficacy because of a lack of understanding and ignorance. So we can see from the parable of Jesus that though the word of God comes to all and though its intention is to yield results in the life of all, but Jesus could only guarantee a fourth, a quarter, one fourth, only one fourth, only one out of the four categories from the four realms of reception are guaranteed to yield result. And even among those, not everybody will yield full results. Some 30, some 60, some 100. So it is possible that you, you may receive a portion of the fulfillment of God's word in your life. So you might find that in, in, one, in one life, uh, especially if the ground, according to the parable, is good, they may receive a, a, 30, a third of the result that the word of God intends to bring. Some may receive 60%. But the goal is 100%. But Jesus says, we, we, no, nobody, no, no, not everybody will attain that. Because the conditions have to be thoroughly met. And remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed. And Jesus begins to explain the parable. And he answered them and said, verse 11, because they asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, because it has been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. You know, what he said was interesting. No, no, let me, let me leave it. Let me leave it. Let me leave it. Let's read verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, notice what seed is. Notice what the seed is. In Luke, he said, the seed is the word. Here, he says, the word of the kingdom and we already established that what is preached today on many pulpits is not the word of god so it cannot be regarded as seed because it's junk let's leave that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it Then the wicked one comes quickly 
You see that? Then the wicked one comes and he snatches away what was sown in his heart. Notice, it was sown. It was sown. The word came. The word went into the heart. It was sown. But because he did not understand it, the wicked one was given the rights to enter into the heart and take that word away. So let's look at this within the context of Adam. Right? Adam is put in the garden and he needs to tend it and he needs to serve I mean uh, to serve it and he needs to uh, keep it. Right? So he has a responsibility because the command was given. Tend and keep. And we already explained the word samar, all right? Which means to guard or to fence, to protect that word. So Adam's responsibility was to first keep the commandment. Then second, keep the garden. So he had to follow the instruction, the command. Keep, tend and keep the garden. So protect it. And we explained that it implies that there was a threat locking in the area. So, if you look at the parable of Jesus, because these parables are mysteries from the foundations of the world, the Bible says. If you look at the parable, and you look at Adam's situation in the garden, the conclusion you're going to have to come to is that Adam did not understand the word. He did not understand the command based on what Jesus said and what gives the wicked one the rights to snatch that word. Because the word God gives is your authority. The word God gives you, that same word becomes your authority becomes your scepter, becomes your rod. So Adam was given a command. At the same time, he was given the authority to enforce and to what? To manifest that word. But you look at what happened in the garden, you realize that it was snatched away. It was snatched away. So I said last night that why or for what purpose does the wicked one snatch the word out? First, it has to do with you, right? So that the word cannot produce its intended results in your life. But secondly, it means that the wicked one can also use that same word. 
There's no vacuum in the spirit. There's no vacuum. So you, you, you see that the wicked one is always lurking about, seeking the word. Seeking the word. Can I read you something? Luke chapter 4. We'll, we'll come back here because I need to explain something. Luke chapter 4. We're talking about the road to prosperity. Luke chapter 4. Verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority, exousia, right? All this authority I will give you. He's telling Jesus that he has authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Satan, he's telling Jesus that he has authority over all the kingdoms of the world. But when we read Genesis chapter 1, it was man that was given the authority to have dominion over the entire earth. So we can see here that this one is not the original commissioned author and authorized ruler so he says all this i will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me you know the word there is an interesting word it means to surrender so he's saying that this has been surrendered to me this has been betrayed to me. So he says, all the authority and the glory of the kingdoms, the entire kingdoms of the cosmos, it has been surrendered to me. Satan is telling Jesus that all this has been surrendered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, how did he get the kingdoms of the world? How did he have the authority to rule and have authority over the kingdoms of the world? He's, he told Jesus how he got it. He said, it was surrendered to me. Obviously, it wasn't surrendered by Jesus. So who surrendered these kingdoms? Remember, the word for dominion was to Adam. And we all know who betrayed all this authority. We all know who surrendered all this authority. Who was it? Adam. So Satan used the command and the blessing of Adam to run the world. He ran the world 
with the authority that was surrendered to him. How, how was it surrendered? Through disobedience. That means that word was snatched from him. Because he did not understand the word. And I said, he did not keep, he did not samar, he did not protect what God gave him. Let's go back there. Matthew 13. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, 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 glory. Let's read Matthew 13. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the word there is comprised of two Greek words, soon and one called uh, himai. So together, they mean to put together. So it's full import, actually communicates a mental putting together, a mental construction of the word. So yesterday I said to consider, right? So it means to use the faculties, both the logizomai side and the dianoia side, to use the faculty of the mind to put together the word. So that tells us that when God speaks what he says, that it's actually not an end to it. There is more. So what a person needs to do when the Lord speaks is that he needs to mentally put together Sunamai. He says this in, in, in let's look at it, in Proverbs chapter, I think, 25. Verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. So that means when God speaks, in what he's saying, there's something concealed. So there's a matter concealed in what God communicates. And then it is the responsibility of the one to whom the word has come to understand it, to sunamai the word, to put it together. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, almost, like, it's almost like a mystery or a puzzle that must be put together. So he says, the only defense or the only thing that will stop the enemy from snatching that word is when a man who has received the word, who has received the command of God, mentally begins to put the word together. So he says, it is the glory of God to conceal a man, but the glory of kings. So the glory of the word is in searching it out. So when you receive a word from God and you do not apply diligence in searching it out, 
what begins to happen is that you would lack the understanding to protect, to keep. So how you keep the word is through understanding, number one. You need to sunamai the word. The word sunamai comes from the, if you, if you trace it down, comes from the word sunesis. Which is a form of wisdom that has to do with the mental faculties. So he says to you that if you don't want the word to be snatched, understand it. So Adam didn't understand the word he was given. So really what Adam had to do was he had to enter into a dimension in his soul through the use of dianoia and the use of logismos to put together the word that he was given. So the problem with many people is that they hear the word and then they jump and like, oh God, amen. No, that's not all there is. There's a searching out that needs to be done. There's a work of diligence in the finding out of the true communication of God. Secondly, what is the greatest commandment ever given to man by God? We all know it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul with all your strength so he says you must love God with all your cardia right you must love God with all your might you must love God with all your Nos, your mind. And then he says, yes, your mind. Your mind is dianoia. He says, you must love God with your imagination. And he says, this is the greatest commandment. Now, question is, what is the measurement of God's love? How does God measure that a person loves him? When he looks at a person, how does how does he, he measure in his love barometer that, oh, this one loves me, this one does not love me? Is God's love measured with emotions? Is God's love measured with actions? Is God's love measured by activity? So if a person you know, reads the Bible every day, uh, prays, fast, give alms, uh, attends church, prays, pay, pays his tithes, uh, gives his offerings, and so forth. Is that the measurement of God's love? So I said, Adam failed because he did not sunama, he did not understand put together the word and the command that was given him secondly i'm proposing that adam did not love god mm. 
So the word in your life will be snatched away. Therefore, rendering it uh, unproductive in your life when, number one, you don't understand it. Number two, when you do not love God. So loving God is an activity that is measurable. Let's look at let, let let's look at this thing. Uh, let me rather use the let me let me rather use the the New Testament. Let's use let's see who who do we use? Let's use Mark chapter twelve verse thirty. Verse yeah, let's read verse twenty nine. Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, Kadia, and with all your soul, Suke, and with all your mind, Dianoia. Dianoia is that part of the mind that sees, that imagines, that envisions. So he says, you must love God with your dianoia. You must love God with your suke. You must love God with all your strength, your iskus. And you shall love the na your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this is the greatest commandment. To love the Lord thy God with all these facets of your being. How? How? That means you can love God in your heart and not love him in your mind. With your mind. And he says there's no other commandment greater than these. So what is the measurement of love? First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. You see, preoccupation in your heart and mind or strength and soul with other things more than God is proof of your lack of love for God. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Are we there? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love 
of the Father is not in him. He says, if anyone agapows the world, the love, he's not saying God doesn't love you. He's saying your love for the Father inside does not exist. So love for God and for other things cannot coexist. So love for other things must flow from love of God or love for God. And love for God cannot flow into love for the world. It does not work. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. So one of the reasons why God's word is never fulfilled in some lives is for a lack of love for God. And I propose to you that Adam did not love God. He did not love God. Let me show you. John 14. Remember, I'm still talking about that, that word, keep, samar. So that means, if you're going to love God, you must protect the spaces where God seeks to inhabit. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, let's take it from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said, the Father loves me because I keep all his commandments. Now, he is defining God or the love of God. He's defining God's love, your love for God. If you love me, keep my commandments. So you cannot separate loving God from the keeping of his commandments. So if you love the Lord, you must keep his, there's that word again. You must keep his command. It's tereo. It means to take care of, to God, to attend carefully, to preserve, to be a keeper of the commandments. I told you about those two words, Tereo and Philisau. And Jesus, here's Jesus saying, if, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, one of the reasons why the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer is not efficacious is because we don't keep his commandments. You see, there's a difference between the activity, the manifestation of the Spirit, and the, and the indwelling presence of the Spirit. So, you may have the Spirit in you and have him inactive. And it all has to do with loving Jesus. 
Listen to what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray. So the end I will pray does not come before. And I will pray and he will give you another. Why are we not helped in our lives? Why do we not receive the help from God when we need it? We don't love him. And his definition of love is keeping his commandments. How simple is that? If you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commandments. If you love me. So that means protecting, guarding, keeping the commandments of Jesus. The commandments of the word is equivalent to loving him. So Adam did not keep the commandments. He did not love God. Israel did not keep the commandments because they did not love God. You may not be keeping the commandments. You don't love God. If you love me, it's an if thing. If you love me, Protect my commandments. Child of God, have you protected what has been given to your charge? You see, everything that God does with man is on the platform of his word. He is the word. He is, his name is the word. Of God. So everything he does with us is from that platform. So we have a responsibility of keeping the word. And I said to you, understanding it is part of keeping it. Loving Jesus is part of keeping it. So we deviate from loving God and fail when we do not keep his commandments. We'll come back here a little later on in this uh, mini-series because there's, there's some heavy things here. So two things prove to us that Adam did not understand really the command, and I mentioned that yesterday, and he did not love God. Can we look at it? Genesis. Chapter 3. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? That means this information could only have come one way. Did you eat 
from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man didn't answer God. He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? You, you, you can tell that the, the Lord was said, what have you done? Then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I want you to hear what the Lord says to Adam. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of, that means in the mind of Adam, the voice of his wife came above God's. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to. Because cursed is the ground for your sake. So how, how can we define love? It is when we put other voices above the voice of God. When other opinions seem to take center stage above God. When other voices, other opinions of men or, or, or forces seem to override the voice of God in our lives. It is an indicator that in our soul, in our mind, we have still yet not developed God. I mean, love for God. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife above my voice. That means in any household where the voice of God is placed below another voice, he says, a curse will be present. Especially when God's prophetic word is over that household or over that individual. It is because... This is the reason why the ground was cursed, because he heeded the voice of his wife above God's. So loving God has to do with putting what God said first and foremost above everything. And remember, I really still haven't explained how really do we keep the word? Or how can we develop the capability of keeping the word? So you can see that love is a protection in this life love for god loving god is essential it is salvation it is preservation it is prosperity and to love him means you love and respect and yield and protect his voice If there's anything in my life that is essential, 
that I guard more than anything is the voice of God. Is the voice of God. Because I know as long as I have his voice <laughs> and I know how to follow him, life is made. There is no way I would not be led into greener pastures. Pastures. So distraction in life happens when we prioritize voices above the voice of God. You remember the story of the old and the new prophet? God told the new prophet, uh, the man of God, the young prophet, that hey, go and do this work, but do not go out of the city the same way you came in. Go by another route. The man of God went, the young man of God, he went, he did God's job, and the old prophet heard of it. While the man of God was on his journey, the old prophet sent word, said, no, come and have supper with me. And then, Initially, the young man said, no, I was told not to. The old man says, yeah, but an angel of God appeared to me and he told me, no, you can come. Why did he not have the strength to say no, the conviction to say no? Because first of all, God didn't speak to the old prophet to send him. Um, uh, uh, to, to tell the man of God to go and do the job that God sent him to do. So he, he, he should have had the convictions of saying no, irrespective of what title the man had. So the old prophet lied to him. They went to go eat. They had a nice time. And the boy went on his journey. Along the way, there was a lion. The Bible said the lion tore him into pieces but did not eat him. When the old prophet came and found him, he found the lion sitting next to the man. It was a sign. You know what the old prophet said? He said he should have listened to the voice of God. He should have listened to the voice of God. Because we fail to guard, to be keepers of his commandments, of his instructions. When a prophetic word is released, I told you yesterday, war is ensued. Because Satan doesn't want God's word fulfilled. He doesn't. Because the fulfillment of God's word is his destruction. Is his shame. Look at every man who has kept the charge, the statutes, the commandments of God. Like Abraham. Like the rich young ruler. They prospered in life. They succeeded in life. It may have taken initially time, oh, but their lives was full of glory. Why? They were committed to the charges, to the commandments of God. 
You see, no one is exempt from this. Look at Moses. God tells Moses, Moses, speak to the rock and let it give these people water. Moses goes out of the presence of God. He probably at that time thought himself to be at some dimension. He got there before the people and he started, he started blasting them. You are stiff-necked people and so forth. And so He was angry. The anger may have been justified because God had been telling Moses the same things Moses was telling Israel. But at that moment, remember the, right, the anger of man, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So you cannot do what is God's uh, uh, and what is right divinely when you are angry. There is no way you can produce righteousness when you are angry. So in his fit of anger, he forgot. Whether he forgot or decided not to do what God said, <laughs> we'll never know. Instead of speaking to the rock, he took his rod and struck the rock. It was over. His ministry was effectively ended that day. God said, because you have done this and have not sanctified me before the people, he said, the land I promised you will see. Not even Moses saw the promised land. I mean, entered the promised land. He saw it, but he did not enter. There are many people who are shown the promises of God, who see them from afar, but they never enter. And you wonder why? Here you are with all these promises. All these things God wants to do. You see them. When you are praying in your mind, you see them in your dianoia. But you never enter. Moses. They are like Moses. Because you think maybe you have a special relationship with God. You know when Christians are out of our line, oh, God loves us. Well, it doesn't matter if God loves you. It matters if you love him. Because his love is never in question. It's your love that's in question. And your love is directly tied to your obedience. It's directly tied to how, how you treasure and keep the words, the commandments that God gives you. So the promises of prosperity, yes, you may see them, but you will never enter unless and until you learn to keep the word. So Moses sees the land for 80 years serving God. Finally, they've reached the borders. And he does one mistake and it's over. And how many times did Moses beg the Lord? The last time he begged him, God said, speak no more of this thing. I'm, I'm through. I'm no longer talking about this. God didn't want to hear him.
because he did not do what he was told. He prioritized his anger above what God told him. And God, when he ended Moses' ministry, God realized, if I do not help and show the next in line to lead this people, he will repeat the same mistake. If I don't show him how to keep my word, he will make this. Because up until this time, God had not revealed the how. He was only releasing commandments. Thou shalt not do this, do this, listen to my voice. But, but the how, as to the process, he wasn't doing it. He had left it to man to discover it, to find it out. And God said, I must show the successor of Moses how to keep and do my commandments. Hallelujah. God showed him. Can we look at it? Because in, in chapter 29, 9, he says, this is how you will prosper. This is how you will prosper. You know, Pastor Raphael spoke about beholding the sun. Letting the light flood your dianoia. In, 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 in paganism, they call it the third eye. Letting the light of God's word, the light of his glory, enter into your mind. to behold with the third eye. The Hebrew say the eye of the prophet. You cannot do what you are not observing. You know, they talk about the observation of the stars. What does that mean? To observe the stars. And God says, I don't want you to observe the stars. That's what he told Israel. I said, don't observe the stars. In other words, do not become an astrologer. Because they would observe the stars to tell the signs. But that came through the observation. That act produced revelation. They could decode signs. Men of the East... They observed the star of Jesus and they followed him. Right to, there, there was no Google. No Google. No Waze app. They, they came from the east and they landed where Jesus was. They, they were able to locate just by observing the stars. And God was telling them, observe my commandments in the same way the pagans would observe the sun, would observe the stars. Observe, observe, Samar. And we told you, I told you how 
when the, the, the when God saw how how God sees the word there and God saw that it was good it, it is the word there translated as prosperity and he says prosperity comes through what observation seeing beholding so how can you get to a point where you see as God sees <laughs> he says, Samar, my commandments. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Ooh. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, that chapter is over. Now arise and go over this Jordan and you and all these people to the land which I am giving them the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and as the land, I mean all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you, nor forsake you, be of good courage, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance. Listen to what God said. said, you will lead them over and you will divide the inheritance to them. So Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land, help them possess the promised land, and then divide the inheritance among the tribes. And God is telling him, this is what you're going to do. Then God says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe. There's that word again, samar, that you may keep, you may heed, you may preserve, you may mark, you may be a watchman, you may protect, you may guard to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right. So, his success and prosperity in leading uh, 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 the possession of these lands that God had given him and the inheritance was directly linked again to the commandments. And God said, you must be strong. Because you want to be meeting some things, you must be strong. If you're going to keep the commandments, you must be strong. Adam was weak. Because he let Eve dictate what must be done. He had no strength. He had no courage to stand up to the devil and to his wife and say, No, no, no. No, no, no. This is not what God said. And I will not stand for this. There was no courage to do so. Eve, I mean, Adam was right there with Eve. Right there. When Eve says, take it. I mean, he didn't mean slap her hand when she, she went to go take the fruit. No, no courage. And because there was no courage, there was no strength, 
He did not have the power to keep the commandment. <laughs> you need courage to follow the word of God. You need courage. Because some, 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 God, some words, some prof, uh, prophetic promises require you to divorce certain things. It requires you to leave certain things which are not necessarily bad. To stay away from certain friends. You don't know how the presence of certain people in your life can hinder the revelation of God. God said to Michael, God said to Abraham, leave thy country, your father's house, and so He says, leave. Surely Abraham left, but he did not leave alone. He left with his niece, uh, nephew, uh, Lot. When he left with Lot, the revelation of God stopped. Only after Lot leaves at Abraham, do we see the Spirit of God coming again and releasing more revelation and telling him to look? So for, for years, when he remained with Lot, he could not proceed in the revelation. Why? Because of the presence of Lot. So there are, there are people, there are lots in your life that hinder the revelation of God, the promises of God from Opening up. I know he's my nephew. I know she's my friend. I know he's my buddy. I know this. I love this job. I know I love this business. But because you don't understand the word, you think it's fine. Only later, only years later, you realize this shouldn't be in my life. When that word came, I should have confiscated this. I should have removed this. I should have divorced myself from this. But because you did not have the courage, nor the strength, you could not become a watcher of the word that was given you. And God tells the boy, if you're going to keep and do according to what Moses said, Boy, you, you must be strong and you must be very courageous. Verse 8. This God, you know what, what's what's amazing here is that the Lord didn't say the book. The Lord didn't say the book or that book. The Lord said this book. This means that the book was in close proximity to Joshua. So the book was probably open. Joshua was probably in the book when God gave him the revelation of his assignment. So he was doing what? He was reading the book. And God said, this book of the law shall not depart, shall not go away from your mouth. This is the first key to keeping the word. He says, the book must not leave your mouth, must not be removed from your mouth. 
there should be nothing that should remove or cause the word to depart from your mouth. So in Adam's life, you see, I always reference Adam because of his failure and because of the possibility of prosperity that is available for God's people when they meet the criteria of God. So he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Hey, 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 hey. shall not depart from your mouth. God had been telling Israel, keep the book, keep the book, keep the book. Now he's telling the guy, no, this thing must not depart from your mouth. But you shall haga, there it is. You shall haga in it. Here's what's amazing. This word haga appears in Joshua chapter 1 for the very first time in the Bible. You have one other word before. Haga, uh, uh, translated as meditate, that was with regards to uh, Isaac when he went to the field to meditate. And the word that was used for meditate in Isaac's case was the word shua. And it has three Hebrew words of the same name. Because the first one, they, they, they don't really know how to communicate it. But when you get to the third meaning, or the H7743, uh, sorry, that has to do with uh, Abraham's son, Shua, that word is translated as wealth. And it is amazing because it is only when Isaac went to meditate that he saw his bride, he saw his wife. And the, 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 the implication of the word shua means to go, uh, uh, to bow and kneel. But Hagar is quite different from uh, shua. Hagar appears here. So this really is the first time God reveals the secret to Joshua about how to keep the commandment. He said, you will hagar. You will hagar. This is interesting because this means to look or to imagine the word by murmuring or uttering it. So he's saying, activating your dianoia through murmuring, through talking, through roaring. Because it is different from Shua, because Shua doesn't carry the implication of imagination. But Hagar means you need to imagine by murmuring the command. So, how was Adam going to keep the command and the garden. He was going to have to hagar. But he, 
There is no appearance of Hagar in Genesis. That means that this thing was a mystery that was intended by God for Adam to discover. Because remember, the Bible says they heard the voice of the Lord walking. So there was a, 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 a you know, occasional encounter with the voice of the Lord and they heard it walking. How did they tell that the voice was becoming closer and closer and closer? The voice, the voice, it must have been saying some things. So God expected that the man learns how to function like him. And one of the ways to function like God is when God gives a command, a promise, a prophetic word, and you take that prophetic word and you begin to do, you begin to, to look at it, you begin to behold it, you begin to imagine it through the process of murmuring it. So he's saying, as you hagar, what will happen is that your dianoia will switch on. And you will begin to see, behold, imagine. So you can stay with the word through Hagar. You know, in the English, the word is contemplation. It means to be fixated on a thing in your mind. You shall keep him in perfect peace whose mind yet are, yet are, yet are. The, 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 where intentions are formed, where pictures are formed. He said you will keep him in perfect peace whose yet are is stayed on you. That means there's a dimension of life where you can get to where the, the word of God is so saturated in your soul that all you see, all you gaze on is that word. Remember Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. The Greek word there is aphorao. It means to look away from other things to focus on a singular thing. And that singular thing is, is Jesus. And he says that peace shall, I mean shalom, shalom. The peace that comes with prosperity is only activated in your life once you learn how to stay your mind on the Lord, on his word. And once that word is Fully yetzad, fully formed in your yetzad. He says, then the peace flows, the manifestation comes, the prosperity is released. Then you can keep the word without even thinking about it. You will do the word without even thinking, am I doing the word? No, because you have stayed on that thing. What begins to happen is that the word gives you the skill to carry it out. So your, your, your faculties, your soul faculty, body faculties, because you have stayed, you have haggard in that thing, you, you, you begin acting in ways consistent with what was commanded you without you even thinking about it. God said, Hagar, day and night and evening and morning were the first day. When did the day end? When God finished producing. So he, he's revealing the mystery of productivity. He says you will hagar in it day and night. Day you will hagar day and night. You, you will hagar. You will hagar. You will murmur it. Say it shall not depart from your mouth. So the key, according to God, to opening up your dianoia, to opening up your yetzah, is through murmuring. 
So Adam should have discovered that the way to keep the commandment was to keep saying it. That's how the understanding was going to come. That's why, that's how the zeal, the passion to see that word through was going to come. That's how the intensity, the energy to fulfill it was going to come. Murmur. All of a sudden, while he's saying it, the vision comes. When you read the Bible, the Bible always, always says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah in a vision. The word of the Lord will always bring visions with it. But the visions are unlocked when you begin to yet, I mean, to hagar on what is coming to you. You see, Je uh, John in Revelation heard the voice first before he saw. Mm. I was in the spirit and I heard. So how do you get into the spirit? You get into the spirit by the frequency of the voice or the authority of the word in that dimension. And how do you, how do you link up? It is because I heard a voice saying unto me. So there are things that are said through the prophetic word that pulls you up to that dimension in the spirit where you are not only able to hear now, but you are able to see after you have haggard, you have, you have handled the word. God says you will meditate. You will meditate in it day and night. He says that you may samar. So how do you samar the word? He says hagar. God revealed the secret. He said hagar is the way to keep the command. Is the way to protect the command. How are you going to protect the prophetic promise of God? He says, you must, you must what? You must Hagar. So Hagar is the what? Is the defense systems. Is, is the de building of the defense systems of guarding and protecting the word. I told you, it is linked to what? Sunamai. The mentally putting together of the word. So he says, Hagar. If you're going to do according to all that is written in it, he says you're going to Hagar. Hagar. He says Hagar. Hagar has a dimension where you get to where you roar the word. You know, God says, God says to you, uh, you are a millionaire. And you say, As you stay on it, it opens up. The visions come. The imaginations come. So you start seeing and hearing the word in pictures. I'm a millionaire. 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 The Lord said it. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. All of a sudden, the vision starts coming. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. And once the picture is... The picture gets there, you're locked in. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. 
but it gets to a point where there's so much synergy between what you are saying and your dianoia and your yeta that it can't be, I'm a millionaire, I'm a, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. You begin to roar. When you roar, you're prophesying. It says, when the lion roars, who can but prophesy? So Hagar carries the implication of roaring, of roaring the word, of roaring the command, of roaring the promise. It's the same thing that Jesus did when he called out Lazarus. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. But the confidence, the boldness to enter that dimension cannot be accessed unless you learn how to stay. How to stay day and night with the word. You know, the Bible talks about the setting of the mind. Friend, the setting of the mind. That means through the process of Hagar, you can get to a point where you, your mind is set. Your default mode becomes that promise. Your default mode becomes that word. When you wake up, the first thing you think about is the word. The first thing your mind is stayed on, gaze on, fixated on, irrespective of what you're doing. These are some of, of, the, of the secrets that has brought us into permanent vision. Permanent. We don't try to see in the spirit. No, the Bible says there is nothing hid from him whom we have to deal. That is the word of God. The word of God gives you eyes. And he says, Hagar, Hagar, that you may observe. Samar to do according to all that is written. Listen to what he says next. For then you will make your way prosperous. Do you know? There's, in the Hebrew, there's no such thing. For then you will make your way. It's only one word way, which is translated as direct. It, what God said there in that last part is direct salah salak. Is direct salah salak. What it means is that you will create a path, a road for prosperity and sagacity. So God was actually telling him, listen, if you're going to prosper in the assignment, if you're going to prosper in this mandate, he says it's going to be because you created the road. I have given you the tools. I have given you the resources. I have given you the secrets. What you must begin to do if you're going to prosper direct, I mean, if you're going to direct Salah, Salak, is that you must begin to Hagar. So he says, while you are Hagaring, three things happen. He says the first thing that begins to happen as you Hagar is that you begin to develop an autonomous uh, behavior to the world. Your faculties, your systems begin to respond accordingly to the word without you having to do anything like extra. It's almost like automatic. You are caused. You know like what the Bible says about Ezekiel? He entered me and set me on my feet. 
You are caused to follow his statutes. You are caused to follow his word. You are forced to call, you are not forced, you are caused to follow his statutes. You are yielded. The same word that is you there, you, and Jesus immediately was led. He was thrusted by the Holy Ghost. So you are led into fulfillment. Secondly, what happens is that direct Salah, a road into prosperity, is created. As you are Hagari, you, <laughs> you will find yourself not only keeping but doing the word. And then... He says, there will be a direct salah. That means you will create prosperity. Through Hagar, you will create prosperity. You will create a road into prosperity. And then he says, you will have good success. No, the word is salak. Salak has to do with sagacity. It has to do with wisdom. It has to do with understanding. Huh. So he says, you'll be able to understand the mysteries of the operations of the spirit realm. Because God revealed the mystery, the secret to him. He revealed it. He said, Hagar. Let me show you some, something, some, something before we, we close here. Um, uh, Psalm, Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he hagars day and night you see the success of Hagar he says it should not be Day only or night only. No. He said day and night. David said, I lie awake in the light watches that I may meditate upon your womb. You are to be a protector of the commandments of the word of God to your, in your life. He says, you must learn to hagar. You must learn to hagar. He says, but in his law, he hagars day and night. He said, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears forth, forth, I mean, bears forth, uh, bears forth fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper whatever he does whatever he does we'll continue tomorrow i love you god bless you enjoy your evening Hallelujah, bless the Lord, glory to God.